0: You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. am. Um, let me, first of all, apologize for this morning. I was on, I went on very long this morning. But you were all very patient and you have come back for more. So that's, that's very gratifying. Um, I... I I don't know what you think whenever you watch the news every night. Uh, I I maybe said to you before, I've nearly given up watching the news for it's so depressing. But it doesn't matter what you're looking at, um, what's going on, you know, whether you look at the world, at the political events of the world, Uh, you know, you, you hear Putin come on and he's breathing out threatenings on the whole world, how he's going to nuke everybody. Um, you think about the people there in, in Ukraine and what they're going through. And I was reading this week about thousands and thousands of children that have been abducted, Ukrainian children abducted and taken to Russia, taken away from their parents uh, to be re-educated. Uh, tens of thousands of them now. Tens of thousands. Imagine that happening in our land. You would be beside yourself. That's going on. And and then, you know, you think of the earthquakes in Turkey and Syria and uh, 50,000 people at least killed, plus tens of thousands injured. Spiritually, you know, you you look at what's going on, never mind the, the, the rest of the world, just what's going on in the British Isles and and, and the Western world and how society is turning away from god as fast as it can and and it's depressing and and it makes you it makes you think about your standing before god and in this very uncertain and insecure world that we live in you know we you ever wonder how secure are you? Well, that's all right until you come and read a passage like we've just read from Romans 8, and especially from verse 28 to the end of the chapter. where We're reminded again and again of, of how we are secure in the Lord. There's, there's a great lack of security out there in the world at the moment. But that need not be so for the believer. We who are believers do not need to fear the past. We do not need to fear the present. And we most certainly do not need to fear the future. Why? Because we're secure in the love of Christ. And Paul here presents five arguments to prove that there can be no separation between the believer and the lord and i promise you i'm not going to be as long tonight as i was this morning even though we're going to look at at five arguments that paul uses first of all he argues we're secure because god is for us verse 31 what then shall we say in response to this if god is for us who can be against us Now, think about the God we worship. He's the triune God. He's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they're all involved in this. Look at verse 32. He who did not spare his own son. Who's he speaking about here? He's speaking about God the Father. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So God the Father is for us. Or look at verse 34. Who is he that that condemns Christ Jesus who died? More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God. And listen to this, is also interceding for us. God the Son is for us. And if you go back there to verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself, listen, intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in being for us in his providence and in his person. God is for us. Now, sometimes... Like Jacob of old we lament, all things are against me. Isn't that what, what Jacob was when he was in one of his gurninments? All things are against me. He uses those words in in uh, I think it's Genesis. Yes, Genesis forty my writing's so bad. Genesis forty two and verse thirty six. I often said I should have been a doctor. The way I read the way I write it's so bad. Anyway, actually Actually, everything is working for us. Isn't that what what verse 28 says? We know that, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. He works in all things for our good. And the conclusion therefore is obvious. If God be for us, who can be against us? And as believers, we need to get up every morning with this thought in mind. And, and this is a great thing to try and do. When you get up tomorrow morning, just keep this to the forefront of your mind. God, the living God who made the universe, who spoke it into being, who upholds it by his mighty power, this God is for us. Is for us. Even if the whole world is against us, he is for us. Jeremiah 29/11 you know the words I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for your good not for your harm doesn't mean doesn't mean that Christians won't face persecution or difficulties not at all but whatever happens to us it's for our good God is for us that's the first argument he uses the second argument he uses is this that Christ died for us <clears throat> Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And the argument here is from the lesser to the greater. That is, if when we were sinners, God gave us his best, namely his son, now that we are God's children, will he not also give us all that we need? In addition, all that we need. And and Jesus used the same argument, didn't he, when he tried to convince people that it was foolish to worry, you know, and to be afraid. For he reminded his hearers that God cares for the birds of the air. There's not a bird falls to the ground, but my father knows it. He cares for the sheep. He provides grass for them. He provides even for the lilies of the field. Do you ever think about that? You know, you think about the intricacies of creation. And our Heavenly Father cares for it all. You know, we have a garden at home. And I'm what I call a preventative gardener. I keep the grass down. My wife did all the weeding and really kept it trim and proper. Now it's down to me. And I'm fighting a losing battle at the minute. But it's a constant battle. You look around the world at creation. And just the other day we were we were driving and it was the weather's been lovely. It's been dry, bright days. The countryside just looks fantastic. And I and I keep reminding myself, my Heavenly Father made all that. He made all that. So that is such such an encouragement. If God takes care of that. Will he not much more care for us? And, and God, God is dealing with his own on the basis of Calvary love and Calvary grace, not on the basis of law. He doesn't, he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. But because of his saving grace, he lavishes his love upon us. God is for us. Christ died for us. And the third argument he uses here is that God has justified us. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. And, and this means that, <clears throat> that that God has declared us righteous in Christ. And, and remember, at the beginning of this chapter, At the very first verse, we're reminded there, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, everything that's written here is for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are his. Now, Satan would like to accuse us. Indeed, he's described in Scripture as the accuser of the brethren. But we stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We've been reminded in this chapter even, or this portion that we've read, that that we stand, that, that we are God's elect, chosen in Christ, before the foundation of the world, accepted in Christ. So God will certainly not accuse us, since it is he, it is he who has justified us. For him to accuse us would mean that his salvation was a failure, and we are still in our sin. Understanding the meaning of justification brings peace to our hearts. It's the peace of God that the world knows absolutely nothing about. It's the peace of God that passes all understanding. You know, this is one of the great benefits of being a Christian. This is one of the greatest benefits that I find in being a Christian, that all my sins are blotted out. The guilt is taken away. I don't deserve it. As far as east is from west, so far has he removed my transgressions from me. And therefore, that that brings about the peace of God that the world knows nothing about. So God is for us. Christ died for us. And God has justified us. Now, our Christian experience changes day to day. Listen, sometimes... R to R. You know, sometimes we're up, sometimes we're down. But justification never changes. We may accuse ourselves, and men may accuse us, but God will never take us to court and accuse us. Why? Because the Lord Jesus has already paid the penalty, and we're safe in Him, we're secure in Him. So Paul argues that God is for us, that Christ has died for us, that God has justified us. And fourthly, he argues that Christ intercedes for us. You see it there in verse 34. Verse 34, who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. A dual intercession keeps the believer secure in Christ. I say a dual intercession because, do you remember we read in verse 26, and let's read it again and put it together with verse 27. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. So God the Holy Spirit is interceding for us and God the Son is is interceding for us there in verse 34. The same Savior who died for us who sacrificed himself for us, is now interceding for us in heaven. Where is Jesus now? He's in glory. What's he doing? He's interceding for us before the throne of God. Intercession means that the Lord Jesus represents us before the throne of God. and We don't have to represent ourselves. Do you remember he did that during his earthly ministry? Luke 22, verse 31. "Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you a sweet, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers." Not a marvelous verse. I have prayed for you, Simon. Wonder how Simon felt when he heard those words fall from the lips of the Savior. I, you know, I don't know about you. In, in my work, throughout the years, I have had people who have said to me, and I, and I believe it, I pray for you every day. I have people to this day, and they pray for me every day. I find that so moving and so humbling. But to think that the Son of God, the Lord of glory, is praying for me it's just, that just blows my mind. He's interceding for each of his children, a ministry that assures us that we are secure. I quoted Robert Murray McShane to you this morning. I'm going to quote him again because he's very quotable. But here's, here's what he wrote on one occasion. He says, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. Yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. It's not great to think about that. If you heard the Lord praying in the next room for you, it would really, but he is praying for you. The distance makes no difference. So Paul argues God is for us. He argues that Christ died for us, that God has justified us, that Christ intercedes for us. And the final argument that he uses is this quite simply, that Christ loves us. And let's just just remind ourselves of how he puts this in verses 35 to 39. Who shall separate us that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Maybe you're here tonight, fellow believer, and this is the one thing you need to hear tonight you need to be reminded that the Lord loves you. You're his child and he loves you. And maybe you've been gone through a tough time, maybe the devil's been giving you a hard time. He's the accuser, remember, of the brother. But here's what God says in his word that nothing Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. No thing. Nothing. So in these in in the preceding verses there, in verses 31 to 34, Paul has proved that God cannot fail us. But it begs the question is it possible then that we can fail Him? God can't fail us, but can we fail Him? Suppose suppose some great trial or temptation comes upon us and we fail, then what? Well, Paul deals with that problem in this final section, and he explains there in those verses at the end of the chapter that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but in my opening prayer, that was the focus of that prayer was the love of God, the love of Christ, and uh, there's a verse that uh, from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter three and verse eighteen, where he talks about uh, together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and deep is the love of Christ, and and I came across this. Um, this is a book by Paul Mallard, Staying Fresh, Serving with Joy. It's, it's, it's a book written for, for pastors uh, who are uh, trying to serve the Lord and, and how to keep them fresh and keep rejoicing in God. And, and he talks about the love of God in that verse from Ephesians. And I, I, I can't put it any better myself, so I, I, want to, I want to read this to you. I just think this is so apt. So Paul Mallard writes about the Apostle Paul. He says, Paul's not content with a superficial understanding of God's love. He wants them to grasp its greatness. He longs for them to have a firm grip of and deep insight into this love. To capture their imaginations, he reads the vocabulary of dimensional adjectives. God's love is wide and long and high and deep. This love is immeasurable We're not pressing the text too far if we try to put flesh and bones on Paul's description. And so he asks the question, how wide is God's love? And he answers it. It crosses all barriers, time and history and space. It finds its resting place on every continent and in all cultures. It reaches out to all kinds of people, irrespective of race or sex or age or social standing. It calls into existence a multinational people of God. It is even so wide that it can encompass people like you and me. How long is God's love, he asks. Answer, it is eternal. What was God doing before he created the world? The Father loved the Son with a boundless, limitless, endless love, but there's more to it than that. In eternity, he set his love on us. We were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1, 4. If an angel could fly back through history, exploring the genesis of the divine passion, he would wing his way back beyond the moment that you first came to faith, beyond your childhood and birth, past the great events of recorded history, past the cross of Christ and the fall of Adam, beyond the moment of creation. It's only when our angelic investigator arrives in the eternity that is before time when only the triune God existed that he will discover the origin of the love God has for us how high is God's love it's so high that it raises sinners up from the depth of their failure and sin and seats them with Christ in the heavenly realms it blesses them with every spiritual blessing in Christ Those who come to taste it are ransomed, healed, restored, and forgiven. They are transported from the guttermost to the uttermost. And how deep is this love? It's as deep as Calvary. The greatest distance in the universe is not from one end of the cosmos to the other. It is the distance between the throne of heaven and the cross of Calvary. Without ceasing to be God... The Son of God took human nature, adopted the role of a servant, and was obedient even to the point of death. And so that we don't miss the point, Paul adds that it was even death on a cross. He is betrayed and beaten. He is despised and tortured. He's mocked and murdered. For the first time ever, he steps into the darkness of God's wrath as he who knew no sin has made a sin offering for us. No wonder we sing, here is love, vast as the ocean. Loving kindness is the flood. When the prince of life our ransom shed for us his precious blood, who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, he can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. And just so that we get the point, Paul reminds us that when we have stretched every sinew of our mind and pushed our sanctified imagination to its limits, We have only just begun to touch the edges of this love, a love which surpasses knowledge. It is wider than you thought, longer than you imagined, higher than you anticipated, and deeper than you ever dreamed. You don't deserve it, but it is yours nonetheless, unconditionally and unreservedly. It isn't soft, it will chasten you if you sin, but it will never let you down and it will never let you go. Not a powerful description. Of the love of God, that God could have such a love for us. But even though He loves us like that, He doesn't shelter us from the difficulties of life. Because our Heavenly Father, our loving Heavenly Father, knows that we need those difficulties for our growth and grace. And in Romans 28, Romans 8 and 28, God assures us that the difficulties of life are working for us. We know, we know, Paul says, we know, not think, not hope. We know that in all things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, God works for the good of those who love us. He's for us, not against us. God permits trials to come that we might use them for his glory and for our good. And we endure trials for his sake. Verse 36, For your sake we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And since we do that, do you think he'll desert us? Of course not. Instead, The truth is, he's closer to us when we go through those difficulties of life. The times when the Lord is closest to us are the times when we're going through the most difficult times. And I can testify to that. I can testify to that. These past couple of years just over have been difficult I've I've mentioned it to you before when my wife was first diagnosed it was the cancer that she had was curable and we were full of hope but it has since transpired that that is no longer the case and it's terminal and that's that's hard to come to terms with. But here's, here's our testimony as a couple. God has never been as close to us. We have never known the peace of God like the peace of God that we know at the present time. And I say that, and my wife, if she was, and she would never stand up and say anything about it, but her sense of security puts mine to shame. She's so strong. God has done that. God has done that. That's what he does. That's what he does. Furthermore, Paul tells us here, he gives us the power to conquer, to overcome. We are more than conquerors through Christ, he says. Literally, we're super conquerors. He gives us victory and more victory. So we need not fear life or death. We need not fear things present or things to come because the Lord Jesus loves us and gives us the victory. So, dearly beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, this is not a promise with conditions attached. The security in Christ is an established fact and we claim it for ourselves because we're in Christ. Nothing can separate you from his love. Believe it and rejoice in it. If God be for us, who can be against us? But, there's a but. Everything that I've said, all those precious, exceeding great and precious promises are for the believer. What about those of you, if there are any of you here this evening and you're not a believer? What hope of you for the future? In this world, that seems to have run amok. Where's your hope? Where's your hope in life and death? Where is it? See, the Bible says that without Christ, you are without hope. And that's, that's a treacherous place to be, to be without hope. But the good news of the gospel is that you need not be without hope, that you can have your sin dealt with. You can be brought into the family of God. You can, you can leave this building tonight in Christ with your sins forgiven. With a sure and certain hope of glory in the future. And knowing that now God is for you. Not against you anymore, for you. So who can be against you if He is for you? Let's pray.